Hello, everybody. This is John Arnold of J. Arnold and Associates, and I am back with Chris Fine. Hey, Chris. Hi, John. Good to be back. Okay. And yes, we're off and running with another uh, of our monthly podcasts, Watch This Space. And as always, we've got new stuff to talk about because it never ends. And uh, 2020 is probably uh, a good starting point to look ahead beyond just the day-to-day, new decade, etc. And we covered a bit of that in our last podcast, actually a couple of podcasts, kind of what happened in 2019 and what we think is happening in this coming year and decade. So we've got a little more of the same. Both of us have been uh, a little bit uh, on the road catching some events and uh, I know I've got a whole bunch of them lined up over the next few months and that's just a day in the life of an analyst. So that's how it goes. But we're here and we've got a few things to share and uh, I think as we've been talking, Chris, let's uh, we will hit the high points of a couple of recent events and uh, people can always follow up if they want to hear more, but we want to keep our messaging fairly concise and uh, make sure everyone gets good Good use of their time when they listen to our podcasts. Yeah, so uh, years off to a good start for you, Chris. Yes, it is. It is. I'm just seeing more and more traction in a lot of the trends in space utilization and you know interior office technology um, and real estate that we've been talking about. So I went to a conference this last week, which was pretty interesting. It was the first time I was at this conference. It was in New York. It was called Future Offices, and uh, it was actually interesting because it was an uh, enterprise and real estate folks for the most part, not all technicians or IT people, and it was held at Battery Park City uh, at the offices of Convene, which is one of, I think, the more progressive and uh, forward-looking, flexible space and event management companies, and it was a beautiful space. It was very nice. Um, but it was just interesting that all a lot of traditional organizations were assembling in this type of place. And it was very much an affirmation uh, of what you and I have been talking about, about where space is going and how people work and how organizations are viewing all of this. And it wasn't all just the usual innovative ahead-of-the-curve thinkers that you sometimes see at these things. I mean, not to say that these folks weren't. But they were pretty solidly grounded in budgets and corporate real estate and backgrounds in real estate and finance and facilities management and some IT. And what was, what was interesting was they were all talking about the need for proactive evolution of the workplace and the technologies in the workplace and recognizing the differences in how people work, recognizing the diversity of people in the workforce and um, looking at trends as to where real estate investment is going. So it was a, it was a pretty interesting get together, John. There were a couple of, a couple of takeaways I would say would be that several large companies got up there, their real estate folks got up there and said, we're moving into the downtowns. We're not going to stay out in the suburbs. We're moving to downtowns to attract the talent that has chosen to settle in a more urban environment. And the part B of that was that they were saying we're not necessarily going to go and buy or lease long-term space. We're going to go with these companies, uh, you know, the, the classic one being WeWork, but not certainly they're not the only player. We're going to try to find flex space to do this, and we're not going to 
100% necessarily own even how the interior architecture or fit-out is done. And we're not going to necessarily take long-term leases. And this has all kinds of implications for the space that you and I talk about with technology, because the way, if you're an IT person, the way you have to start thinking when you have flexible space is pretty different. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's like 10 things in there we could be talking about all day. And I'm sure just right off the top, just thinking about the concept of, you know, legacy infrastructure, you know, if you are not owning your space, it's just all the more reason to put everything in the cloud, right? I mean, everything should just be on demand, and that's that's what agility is all about these days, right? Right, and part of what's driving this from a technology side is the coring out of the middle layer of servers and, you know, local data and processing capability. It's it's sort of rich edge and rich cloud um, and not so much the dedicated equipment that you used to find. Yeah, so it's good good news for Amazon and Google, maybe not such good news for whatever, HP, Cisco, all the hardware players, right? I think it depends on the player. I think if you're yeah. a networking company, I think if you're Cisco or, or HPE or any of the players, uh, that your the capabilities of your part of the infrastructure is just going to have to increase because you're doing more than just connecting people. Um, I think if you're making servers and you are and your business model depended on private data centers, then you're going to have to modify that. Well, you know, the name of our podcast is Watch This Space. And, you know, we could be literal and say it's about office space. But, you know, we're really talking about, you know, communications technology and collaboration and, you know, future of work. But it just says so much about, yeah, literally the space in which we work is such a big part of all of this transformation that's going on. Yeah, and one of the things I find very interesting is that there have been these companies that have come to the fore, like Leesman and Delos is another one that's more focused on pure wellness, that really have a pretty sophisticated scoring system that they can go out to a company's employees and, and stakeholders and really get a lot of good data and then compare it in terms of the quality of like a pretty, a sophisticated model of quality in the workplace and the quality of the experience. And it's starting to be more well known. So where I see this going is that there's going to be sort of the, a ranking of places to work on this axis as well as, um, just the, the company management itself, you know, more of a glass door traditional type of ranking. I think there's going to be sort of a rating that you get along axes related to how you run your, your space. Like what kind of a place are you to work? Yeah. Yeah. More so than just pure culture or reputation, right? Right. Um, right. Yeah, and, you- and that's going to be another factor in terms of recruiting people. I mean, that's the logical extension of, you know, what the Silicon Valley companies started to try to do with the Google, the Googleplex and Facebook and Apple. But, you know, it's not so much their model everywhere as just analyzing how people work, how you retain them, how you hire them and, and, and what, and what makes it make someplace a better place to work. And that's all, and that's that. That kind of spills over into all the stuff we talk about too. Yeah, yeah. You a few months ago, Chris, you steered me to Leesman, and um, 
I, I did get their current study or one of their current studies, and I wrote a couple of posts about it. And it's very granular, you know, detailed information about all these attributes that they rate. And it was really interesting because one of the big takeaways to me was this idea about open office spaces work very well for some kinds of environments and tasks, but not very well for others. And I think there's a real fundamental challenge where certain types of work require privacy, require being able to have, you know, real conversations that you don't have to worry about people listening to you with. But other environments need that more spontaneous, ad hoc kind of, you know, on-the-go environment where you're not sitting in a cube all day long, but you're in a very fluid environment where you just move from space to space as your project flows dictate. Yeah, and I, that's a very good point, John. And I think what I think what that reflects, what the way that this is beginning to play out is you'll go to a conference like Future Offices and you'll hear, you know, smart thinking real estate people who now can get their hands on quantitative data. They're not just listening to, not that, I mean, we're few, sort of futurists, so I'm not knocking futurists, but they're listening to very, they're, they're looking at more of a concrete framework of of, of determining what to do. And they're looking at methodologies that either their own people can do or they can hire somebody to do to break people's work patterns into profiles and then compare those profiles to a very large database of people in global markets. And that's, so I think that's what's helping to drive this multiple, multiple ways people work and how to space and technology ad- adapt to that. It's, it's driving that from sort of the forward-thinking director of innovation types to corporate real estate and you know CFO and 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 HR and you know very concrete sort of places where you need to have an ROI, you need to have an analytical framework, you need to be quantitative, you need to show them numbers, and that's a big break big break from where we were a couple of years ago i think i don't know if you agree but that's what i think yeah yeah it just shows the you know evolving impact of of you know cloud and ai type of technologies where it's all about you know decisions are being very data driven now and that's not going to change so whoever's got the most data the best data is going to drive the best you know drive the biggest uh, changes in investments so um, it, it all adds up for me. It's, uh, as you say, it's a very different model. Um, but, uh, numbers tend to, uh, carry the day for a lot of things. So, uh, that's, you know, if it, if it works and translates into a happier environment for people and more productive, then it's great. But if it forces people into boxes to do things that they don't really feel comfortable doing, you know, there's, that's a different challenge. Agreed. Agreed. And speaking of new technologies, um, what about you? You, You've been to um, this voice event, and it sounds very interesting, so why don't we talk about that for a bit? Sure, sure. Thanks, Chris. So uh, you and I attended an event last summer in New Jersey called Project, sorry, called uh, Voice Summit, and I attended a conference that's kind of a cousin to that event called Project Voice, and the starting point for this one is it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So the first question is, who goes to Chattanooga for a tech conference? And uh, 
this is one of these, it's kind of a locally run project, this project voice run by a guy named Bradley Metrock, who was a local there. And his view is, well, why not Chattanooga? So it's a bit of a, you know, sometimes conferences get interesting. It's a little bit like South by Southwest. You wouldn't normally think about Austin as a cool place to go, but it's become like the cool place to go now. And I think they're trying to do a bit of that there. But there is some underlying reality. Um, the local utility, EBP, uh, several years ago, uh, built out the, the I, I think, the biggest and certainly the fastest broadband infrastructure in the U.S. So that's kind of the claim to fame of Chattanooga as a tech uh, hub, so to speak. So in terms of residential anyways, uh, rolling out fiber to the home, that was a big deal early on. And uh, they've kind of carried that mantle as to say, you know, we are a tech-friendly community. We've got the infrastructure, so come on down. And, you know, it's a little bit like... Uh, you know, some of these southern cities like, you know, Nashville, uh, uh, Kentucky that aren't big cities, but they're kind of smallish up and coming. They're family friendly. They're not expensive. Quality of life is good. Education is pretty good. So there's a lot of things that are attractive, um, for, for, for companies to go to. So they're trying to kind of amplify that vibe there. So Chattanooga as itself. Very cool place for other things, particularly music and sort of a lot of natural beauty around there, too. But uh, as my first time going there. Um, but interestingly enough, you know what? It certainly is working because the they had tons of A-list sponsors there. Samsung, Google, Amazon, Mercedes-Benz, uh, National Public Radio, NPR. So they had some pretty big names, you know, putting their money behind this show. And... Uh, so the conference itself had some really great content, mostly consumer-oriented, but one of the reasons I was there was to provide a little more of the enterprise uh, side of where voice technology is going with AI. And uh, sidebar, of course, we got our band, the Septones, to play there. That was another draw for me to go. Uh, that's another conversation, but we sure had fun. But I will just uh, hit a couple of highlights here because – it's just so interesting when you're in a world that is more consumer oriented, you don't go there with expectations about, oh, what's going to be the latest in, you know, meeting room technologies and video conferencing and all that. Nope. It's mostly about, you know, how that consumer market works. But I'll tell you, when you see the innovation that is happening, um, you know, uh, we may have talked before about Samsung with Bixby their voice assistant but you know amazon makes the most noise as, as usual and just i want to hit a couple of points there from uh, one of the talks uh jeff blankenberg was from amazon talking about what's the latest with them the skills database for alexa has doubled in the last year from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand that is a lot of kind of capabilities a lot of it may be pretty small time stuff but the fact is it's growing really fast and the big one that hit me is that he said there's been over a hundred percent increase in skill engagement. And what that means is that people are doing more with Alexa than just asking for the weather or what's the traffic like today. There it's becoming so much a part of the everyday life of what they're doing now. So as usage grows, trust grows. You know, the engagement gets deeper, it does more things, and it becomes all of a sudden a part of your everyday routine. That's not news, but it's interesting to see how kind of deeply embedded this is becoming. 
And it's not just that gadget on the desk. Echo Buds now you put on your ear, so you don't even have to talk to a, a smart speaker. They have a ring that you can wear on your finger. This is so Dick Tracy, right? You just have to speak to it. And, of course, it's deeply embedded into the car now. So every modality you can think of where you could use voice um, is there. So it's going to become so much like an ambient experience. You'll just talk, and there'll be some device out there you'll be able to connect to. And, you know, it's not a huge leap to see how this could eventually find its way into the enterprise as a way, you know, to to access your files, to start a meeting, to communicate with somebody, whatever. It's all going to be there. So it's, you know, Amazon's betting big on the enterprises, we know. So it's not really that far away. And so the takeaway to me, Chris, is that this is a great example of how consumer innovation usually leads enterprise adoption. So what's happening in the consumer space, I think, is a pretty good bellwether for what we can expect to see, you know, in the not distant future at all in the workplace. I agree, John. That's really interesting um, where it's going. I, 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 I think that it kind of fits into what we've said before on on, on many planes, which is um, that that you can't have futuristic stuff at home past a certain point where it doesn't propagate into the workplace because not only do people not want that and it doesn't make any sense, but it, it also the workplace and the home are not so much different anymore. You well, know? Yeah. Blurring. Uh, of <laughs> Yeah. But I think I, you know, if you see it's not, it isn't even only Alexa, you know, it's once people, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but for example, once people make the jump to Siri, I see more and more people interacting with phones with, with Siri. And since Apple has enhanced that, and for example, it becomes more and more helpful when you're driving, I see more and more people doing that and the Google, the Android equivalent of it or comparable to it um, in that mode too. So you're right. It, it's like something's going to be listening to you or you can choose to have something listening to you, hopefully, um, not be forced to no matter where you are. And that's just going to be the main way you deal with machines. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I hate to say it, but privacy will eventually become a a casualty along the way. It's just going to be all consuming. And another cool takeaway, Chris, is that it's not just voice. It's also vision recognition, too. And they had an example here, uh, Alexa in particular, um, where they showed an example of how it's how blind people are using Alexa to help with their everyday life. So you can ask Alexa, you're holding something in your hand. You're, say you're in a grocery store, but you don't know what it is because you can't see it. You ask Alexa, what, am, what, what am I holding? And it's vision recognition, just like speech recognition is good enough. It will tell you that's a box of Cheerios. It costs $4.99. And now you know what you have. I mean, that's a, I think a really profound kind of leap in where these technologies go. You start talking about, you mentioned earlier, inclusivity in the workplace catering to people who may have disabilities of some kind. That's pretty good. Absolutely. And you can envision that going further. So let's take the example of the the, the um, sight impaired or visually impaired. You know, you could have, you can communicate an awful lot of information with voice. So maybe that's that, uh, that intermediate step between now and 
when they do figure out directly how to feed into the optic nerve from sensors. So you could envision that you could have an application that might be sort of narrating your way along, uh, coupled with vision recognitions, um, and, and, and kind of explaining what's going on and adding that dimension of sight, um, uh, to help people, uh, with any kind of uh, visual impairment to just translate effectively visual to audio. Yep. Yep. And we certainly see it in cars, right? With, uh, the rear view and helping with parallel parking. And, you know, those are all examples of vision based sensors and AI and, and just how, you know, when the machines get to be as good, if not better than us, you know, it's, we're entering a whole other environment. Even when we're not quite there yet, you know, you could, there are definitely some intermediate phases of all of it where it's actually helpful. Yeah. And again, as we become more, comfortable with these technologies and they become more embedded in our day to day. We don't think about it, you know, all, you know, before you know it, you know, you're depending on these things. And as that skill set grows with these devices, it does more and more things and for better or worse, it's, you know, it's here. So I think we should leave it at that for now, Chris, this, for everything okay. we're talking about, there's like probably 10 more takeaways we could hit on for both of the events we were at. But we got to keep everyone on the edge of their seat because we want you coming back, giving us a call, and we'd be happy to talk more. But, uh, yeah, I think we got to call time, Chris, because otherwise we'll be here all day, huh? Absolutely, John. Absolutely. Um, once we get going, you and I, it's always uh, the clock can get away from us. So, yeah. as always, you know, thanks to our listeners for bearing with us. We always welcome to hear from you. And um, I, I will get together again in a month, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we sure will. We sure will. Okay, so Chris, you've you've signed off, and I'll sign off as well. John Arnold here, and it's another edition of Watch This Space, and yes, we'll be back with another one next month. Over and out for now, and we hope to hear from you soon, and we hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks, everyone.